Titus 2, verses 4 through 8. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,858. 1858. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Thus ends our reading of God's sufficient word. May all who hear it cultivate a submissive spirit. Often, the church needs to put forth a double effort in order to present the truth to the world. And much of this is due to, to the false teaching that we see out there. For example, there, there are those who preach the prosperity gospel, a message that the, the more you give to a ministry, the, the richer you will become. The world sees a message like that in Christ's following. And for good reason. Unfortunately, teachings like, like that paint all Christians in a negative light. And as a result, God's word is maligned. Titus was dealing with a similar situation on Crete. The, the, the teaching of the circumcision group was ruining whole households. And locals, they were blaming God's word. And they were blaming the church. Last week, I, I preached to the older generation. However, it was really a message to everyone since, since the younger generation will one day be that older generation. This week, we are reversing the roles. I want to speak to the younger generation. And yet, if you are part of the older generation, you, you shouldn't tune me out. For the things that I will be discussing are the very things that you are to teach the younger generation. So pay attention. But before we dig in, let's, let's review where we are at in Paul's letter to Titus. If you recall, Paul instructed Titus to straighten out what was left unfinished on Crete. He was to appoint elders and he was to silence those who were preaching a false gospel. But more than that, the, the whole church needed to step up, beginning with the older generation. Both the men and the women needed to become role models of godly living. They were to be respectable members in their community and to teach the younger generation how to live out the Christian faith. They did this for the sake of the gospel and for unity within, within their homes and within the church. You see, those from the, the circumcision group had brought in a teaching that caused discord. So it was this older generation that needed to step up. They needed to, com to combat these things through teaching of their own. 
And in Titus 2, we, we learn about the things that they were to impart, beginning with the women. Look at Titus 2, verse, verses 4 and 5. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. First, we must answer the question, who were these younger women? These were the women who were old enough to be married and yet young enough to, be st to still be having children. According to Roman law, a woman could get married at the age of 12. But typically, a woman would marry in their mid to late teens. So Paul was probably addressing women between the ages of 15 up to 30. It was a role of these older women to teach these younger women how to live godly lives. And of greatest importance, they were to love their husbands and children. Seems easy enough, am I right? I mean, why wouldn't a woman love her family? But that's 21st century American thinking. You have to remember that Paul was dealing with first century Crete. There, a woman would most likely have had an arranged marriage. Romantic love was, was not the most pressing issue of the time. So a woman could have easily been, been in a marriage where she didn't love her husband and perhaps resented his offspring. Paul wanted the older women to, to train these younger women how to love their family. Of course, even with romance involved, a woman can still struggle with truly loving her husband. I mean, take our country, for instance. We live in a society where romantic love is the backbone of marriage. But, but take a look at this chart. This shows the, the steady increase in the divorce rate from, from 1867 to 2012. What used to be a 3% divorce rate has now ballooned, and we are hovering right around 50%. What this demonstrates is that Americans no longer see marriage vows as being sacred. Instead, we, we have viewed such things with contempt. Now, there are a number of reasons for this, but one of the biggest factors is in the way we choose our spouse. It has become a matter solely based on infatuation. Listen, love is not just an emotion. The majority of, of the marriages that you see on this chart, they, they began with, with passion and excitement. If, if the emotion of love could hold a marriage together, then America would be teeming with success stories. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Dear friends, the, the love that Paul is talking about is not merely an emotionally driven command. No. The love that Paul is talking about is a selfless love. A love that calls a person to, to die to their own desires in order to fulfill the needs of another. 
Infatuation, what is that? It's a, it's a selfish thought that this, this one person is going to fulfill all of my desires. That's not what Paul is getting at here. Regrettably, this is how our culture determines who should marry whom. And this is one reason why we have seen the divorce rate skyrocket. God is calling his church to something different. You see, Paul desired that these women in Crete go against the cultural norm and honor the sanctity of marriage. How could they do this? By truly loving their husbands and children. And Paul laid, for, laid forth four things for these young women to focus on. Be self-controlled and pure. Be busy at home. Be kind. And be subject to their husbands. First, she is to be self-controlled and pure. Paul ties these two characteristics together to convey a message of sexual purity. These young women were to control their passionate desires. You see, Cretan culture did not always encourage marital fidelity. It was not uncommon for a young teenage wife who, who was married to a 20-something-year-old man to have a teenage lover on the side. Where the, the Greeks and the, and the Romans found such a practice to be commonplace, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that sexual relations are to only be between a husband and a wife. Second, being busy at home. The Greek word used here is oikurgus, which, which means to be a keeper of the home or a good house manager. This was the responsibility of being a good wife. Not only was she to be faithful to her wedding vows, but she, she needed to make her home a place of refuge for her family. Her priorities were to take care of the needs of her husband and her children. Now, what Paul is not saying here is that she never leaves the home. In fact, I would wager that Paul was thinking of the last chapter in Proverbs 31 when he penned these words. Look at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good not harm all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds a distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, 
and supplies merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Now this is a woman who is industrious, a woman who, who does not sit idly by watching as the world passes her. No, she is proactive, not for her own sake, but for the sake of her family. So when Paul is, is telling these younger women that they are to be busy at home, he is stating that they, they are to do everything in their power to make their home a place of rest and security. She is to be both a wife and a mother who loves her family. Third, she is to be kind. In fulfilling all those duties that I just talked about, she is to have a pleasing demeanor. She is to be both caring and empathetic to her children, and she is to demonstrate respect for her husband. Let me ask you young women out there, when you are serving your family in this way, do you do so with kindness? Or do you let the stresses of life get to you, allowing yourself to, to lash out, maybe in anger, when things go awry? God is calling you to be kind. And finally, she is to be subject to her husband. Not only did this conform with Cretan culture, but it, but it is in agreement with God's word. Ephesians 5, verses 22 and 23 read this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. In other words, the, these, these young women needed to learn to be the, the helpmates of their husbands. They needed to view his success as their success. This is a high standard, is it not? I mean, what I've just described sounds like the, the, the perfect mother and the perfect wife. And if you are a young woman out there and you are feeling about this high right now, then I have accomplished my task. For, for no woman meets these standards. Listen. Paul wasn't asking for perfection in these areas, but, that, but for the older generation to teach the younger. These are things to strive for with the help of the Holy Spirit. And what is the reason for such striving? So that no one will malign the word of God. You see, when, when, when a woman doesn't love her husband and children, that is when we see discord within the home. And, and if the Christian teaching is seen as, being, as bringing dysfunction into a family, then the word of God takes the blame. 
Paul wanted to see unity within the home for the sake of the family and for the sake of the gospel. Well, enough about younger women. Let's move on to younger men. Let's put their feet to the fire for a moment. Verses 6 through 8. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Again, we need to ask the question, who were these young men? These would be those in their their mid to late teens on up to the age of 30, just like the women. They would be men who had already begun their careers and perhaps have gotten married and started a family of their own. So we have both bachelors and husbands in this category. And this is probably why we don't see any direct commands for them to to love their wives. However, we do see the, the same charge to be pure. Look again at at verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Just like the women, the the men needed to honor the sanctity of marriage. Those who who were not married should remain pure, abstaining from sexual relations. And those who were married were to be a one woman man. Again, this breaks the norm with Cretan culture, and sadly, it breaks with our culture as well. Let me ask you young men out there, are you living a life of purity? If you're not married, do you have the the self-control to wait until you are? And if you are married, are you being faithful to your wife? Are you a one woman man? Do you allow your eyes to wander? Are you addicted to pornography? Listen, pornography is a a serious problem in the world today. Porn sites receive more traffic than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. Worldwide, it is a $97 billion industry, 12 billion of which comes from our country. Brothers, if this is you, you need to repent. It is demeaning to women and it is a slap in God's face. But Paul had more to say than just sexual purity. He he instructed Titus to, to set an example by doing good being a part of of that older generation of men and being in the lead role of the the church on Crete, Titus, more than any other man, needed to be a prime example of what biblical manhood looks like. Paul wanted Titus to be a visible expression of godly living. Therefore, he instructed Titus to, to demonstrate these things through his preaching. It was from the pulpit that Titus would set the example. And there were three things that that Titus needed to exhibit. Integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. First, integrity. 
Titus must not be like those false teachers who, who, were, who taught for the sake of dishonest gain. His, his motive for preaching must come from a servant's heart. Therefore, when he was teaching, he wasn't to make a spectacle of himself. Rather, he was to speak words that would be beneficial to the people and bring glory to God. Such an example would, would communicate to these young men that, that they too should live lives of integrity, whether it's integrity in the household or integrity in the workplace. Next, seriousness. Titus was to approach the pulpit with a, with a, with a certain dignity that spoke of the weighty matters that, that, are, that he read from God's word. The pulpit was not a place for, for joking around or, or playing silly games. Unfortunately, there are many pastors today who, who don't get this message. Whether, whether it's intentional or unintentional, their, their sermons seem to be all about humor. Granted, there may be a, a serious point that they're trying to make, but, but it lies hidden underneath a, a blanket of superficial comedy. And, and the only thing that the people truly remember was that, that joke that raised the roof. Titus was to demonstrate a serious attitude when preaching in order to teach these young men that life is not all about fun and games. Rather, kingdom work is earnest business. Finally, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. There's that word again, sound, meaning healthy. Titus's words must be wholesome and accurate to Scripture. He must be prepared, taking careful thought and careful study before he opens his mouth. By doing so, he sets, he sets a model for these men to follow, showing that God, above all else, is to, be, is to be cherished. Brothers, ask yourself, are you a man of integrity? Is your word your bond? Is the labor that, that you do beneficial to your fellow man? Are you a man who, who takes life seriously? Have, have you left the childish things behind you to focus on the more pressing issues of life? Are you a man who speaks soundly? Do you honor God with your lips? Do you choose your words carefully, putting thought into the matter before you speak? Paul desired that Titus set an example in these things so that those who opposed him would be ashamed because they would have nothing bad to say about the church. Again, we see this high standard that, that Paul lays forth. But these things were, were vital to the survival of the church. After all, it was the practices of the circumcision group that led to disunity within these households, bringing about the maligning of God's word and opposition to Titus's teaching. So when we step back and, and look at these qualities that were to be taught to both the young women and to the young men, what is the overarching characteristic that binds them all together? A submissive 
spirit. Both parties needed to set aside their own desires for the sake of others. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is asking this younger generation that they strive to be like their master. After all, it was, it was Jesus who put on a submissive spirit for their sake. And he did so for you as well. He, he humbled himself by becoming a man, a servant to all. He then died on the cross to pay for your sins. And then rose to new life in order that you too may find hope in the resurrection of the dead. Repent of your sins and believe in him. It is only through Christ that you will find entrance into his kingdom. And if you find entrance there, he will grant to you his Holy Spirit. Who will guide you in this life. Transforming you into the godly women and godly men that we just read about. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we do not live up to these standards. Often we, we think about ourselves first. Forgive us of our sins as we look to your son who, who died for us. Help us to have submissive spirits. We can only do so by the power of your Holy Spirit. Be with us, strengthen us, guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.